4: I never in a million years thought I was going to go to prison. Like I had planned my day for after court. I thought, get the sentencing out of the way, and then I was due to meet my friends at six o'clock that day. But six o'clock didn't come.
0: This is A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. I'm Chris Atkins, and I'm a filmmaker who was jailed for tax fraud in 2016. I got sentenced to five years, served two and a half, and I've written a book about my time in Wandsworth Prison, also called A Bit of a Stretch. In jail, I met loads of fascinating characters, and since I got out, I've recorded over 20 conversations with ex-prisoners. Their stories are heartbreaking, uplifting, funny, shocking, and often downright weird. The names have been changed, but their voices are real. They'll take us headfirst into the worst prison crisis in history and reveal a broken system that is failing victims and the wider public. Each episode is centred around a different theme. This first one is all about arrival and survival in those first few weeks in jail.
4: I got found guilty at 11 o'clock and... The judge is coming. He comes to read out my sentence and he says, today I start your sentence at 11 years. This is Farouk.
0: He was convicted of section 18 GBH. It was a fight in the street and he's always maintained that he didn't do it.
4: And my legs and my knees and my body just goes because I just think to myself, wow, 11 years for one punch. My head started going. I started getting really anxious. You want to bang on the glass, but you're thinking, it's been bad so far, so if I start banging on the glass, will that make things worse? So, so where did he get to at the end? He said, today, you leave this courtroom. It was seven years. Wow. And the judge, he's done this thing with his hand, like, like you know, just take him away like I was nothing. Like dismisses you with a wave of yeah, his hand? Yeah. Like, just waves his hand like, like get rid of him. It really felt like Alan Sugar. You know when he says in The Apprentice? You're fired. <laughs> he's like, you're fired. And I can remember my uncle swearing in Punjabi. And I could see my sisters crying. And I'm looking at my sisters and I'm like, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's only a few years. But in my mind, I'm shitting myself. G4S guy, he looks at me and he says, don't worry. He like, puts his hand on my leg and he says, you're gonna be okay. He's took me away, he's took my handcuffs off and he's hugged me. The guard. Yeah, the guard, the G4S guy, has hugged him. Within the time my trial's going on, me and this lad, we're talking about football, life, drinking, pubs. It was more like he was my friend.
0: So he takes you out, he gives you a hug, which I've never
4: heard of all the prison stories I've heard. And we walk back to the holding cell, then the other prisoners come in. Like, you know, the other guys that have been sentenced. Everyone else has come prepared. They've got like a bag, they've got like a toothbrush tracksuit bombs, trainers. I've got nothing, apart from a pen, a silver parker pen, and my suit. This lad, he gets there late. He's been effing and blinding to the police, to the judge. He was dressed in a hood top. I was in a three-piece suit. And he says, mate, are you a solicitor? Getting onto the bus. And then we drive from the court to prison and that feeling is the scariest feeling possible big gates open and you drive into the prison and you walk off the bus and then they book you in there's a room behind the reception and there's officers watching the news and as i've looked my case is on the news. It's on the 6 o'clock news. And it's really hitting me now. My heart's gone.
0: I can empathize with Farouk's trauma when he first tumbled into prison. I felt pretty much the same way myself. One of the most distressing factors is that feeling of being completely and utterly alone. Now this isn't always the case as sometimes two or more co-defendants are sentenced and imprisoned at the same time. Tell me about the sentencing. You pack your bag...
2: Pack my bag, Kiss my dog goodbye. He was going to die before I got out, because so I knew I wasn't going to come home. Uh, Kiss my wife. My brothers picked me up, went to court. This is Stephen. He pled guilty
0: in a complex bribery case. He was joined in the dock by his co-defendant, who had actually given evidence against Stephen, in the hope of receiving a more lenient punishment?
2: I had to stand with this other guy who, who turned Queen's evidence. Oh, that's been awkward. It wasn't easy. So the guy who'd ratted you out was standing next to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was anything said between you at that, that moment? There wasn't. We didn't speak at that. moment. We did not speak. Eye contact? I don't think we even had any eye contact. Prosecution made their big play about how dreadful it all was. The judge, he dealt with me first. Therefore, um, 42 months, you may go down. I, mean, I sat down. How did he feel? Your stomach sort of hits the bottom, you know, your, your, your heart jumps out. You have that empty feeling that just is out because you, you have no control. He then had to do... changing names, aren't you, yeah? Yeah. He then had to deal with the other guy, Richard. Richard genuinely thought he was going to go home. That day... For ratting you out? He thought he was going to go home, yeah. He got uh, 15 months. Were you pleased then that he at least got something? I watched him physically buckle, actually. And I remember thinking at the time, I didn't do that. Richard and I went down the stairs together. We eventually get picked up. We go off to, we arrive at prison. Did you know where you were going? No. I was first off taken into a room. Richard was second off. So I'm sat on a bench. And both in your suits or? Both still in our suits. And well, Richard comes in. There's nowhere else to sit. Nowhere else to sit in this room, on this bench. And it wasn't a big bench. And I look at him and he looks at me and says, can I sit down beside you then? I just remember him saying, can I sit down beside you? I said, oh, sit, you want to sit with me, that's fine. We didn't really talk for about five minutes or so. And then in the end, I thought, oh, this is just ridiculous. I said, you didn't think you were going to get sent down today, did you? He said, no, he didn't. His wife hadn't come with him. He had two kids, one aged eight and one aged ten. He hadn't told them. They knew nothing.
0: Because he just thought, I'm taking a plea, I'm walking.
2: He'd never told his kids in the five years this had been going on. He'd never told them. I felt really quite sorry for him, actually, at that point. You've come to court thinking you're going home. And it hasn't played off, has it, buddy? That's what I sort of thought. Some mixed emotions there. Yeah. I mean, I did feel sorry for him.
0: Prison receptions are deliberately dehumanising. It's where they made me undress, put on horrible prison-issue clothes and confiscated most of my property. But Wandsworth's reception was fairly calm and orderly, which lulled me into a false sense of security. Maybe this prison experience won't be too bad. This sense of optimism usually vanishes when new inmates are taken onto the induction wing. Walking onto a prison wing for the first time is almost impossible to describe. Time slows down, nothing seems real. And you're completely overwhelmed by the noise. I just couldn't... I, I couldn't cope with the noise. This is Christopher. He also got five years for tax fraud and he arrived in Wandsworth just days after his 70th birthday. It was
3: just noise.
0: Noise, noise, noise.
3: Noise of what? Doors banging, people shouting, screaming shattering, singing
4: off-key. People are coming up to see me and I'm thinking, are they here to be my friend or are they here to rob me? Farouk again, And this Afghanistani boy comes and he says to me, you need to be a part of something. In the prison system, the brothers do hold a lot of weight and they will look out for you because if you're not a part of something, you will struggle. And he's got a prayer mat and he says i'm going home in about three days you can have this bear in mind i've never prayed <laughs> i've still got that prayer mat and that's the one thing i kept for three and a half years and i've got to the wing i see the traveler lads one of them shouts out wilf your new padmate here and the door opens and out comes this stocky northern guy and he said oh so you must be the new lad okay let's see how long you last and when that door shuts i don't care who it is your heart goes it just got real i was broken you know like tears emotions the weakness the fear Anxiety. Everyone sheds tears. Anyone that says they don't cry and they don't get upset, they don't show no emotions, they're lying.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much how I felt on my first night in prison. I was still reeling from the trauma of the trial and was completely incapable of dealing with this new crazy environment. I was really lucky as my first cellmate in Wandsworth was a good guy who looked after me and showed me the ropes. But a lot of new arrivals aren't so fortunate and often have to deal with difficult and dangerous cellmates. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If If. Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
3: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/achieve today.
2: I went away to school. I boarded at school, so I worked out that this wasn't so different, actually. This is Stephen again. Day two or three, I got moved into a cell with a scary guy, but I we made friends. I made friends with him, not friends that you go drink in the pub with, but we shared a room. You got on, and I, and I just made sure I got on with him. I thought one evening he was going to kill me. Why? It was the Six Nations rugby. I always watched the Six Nations. He'd been watching every possible television programme that I would never watch. All the soaps I would never normally watch, and I just ignored it and said, that's fine, I don't care, I I don't care. But I made a big thing, I really want to watch the rugby. Uh, And he said, oh yeah, that's good, I like rugby. He's a rugby league person, of course we watched the rugby and he spent the first two or three games saying that's ah, rubbish that's a knock on that's rubbish that's a knock on that's not a rugby leader. I said for fuck's sake guys I just want to watch the rugby shut up Yeah. and we shouted and screamed at each other a bit yeah. I called him all kinds of stuff thought he was going to beat the hell out of me Jesus but I said no 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 I'm sorry I've done everything your way she said well in that face I'm going to ask for a fucking move I'm moving I'm moving rang the bell banging on the door I need to be out of here I don't want to be with this cunt I don't want to be in this room with this cunt However, nobody came, I watched a rugby, and by the end of two or three hours, he's going, I shouldn't have done that, should I? Sorry about that. Do you think I would have a mental health problem, or was he uh, so? Probably, who knows? He, he was in for grievous bodily harm. So He certainly could have beaten me to a pulp. My limited experience of being at school was, if you just always say, oh, OK, then, then they'll, they'll just take you for everything yeah, yeah. you've got, and you will end up bullied. I mean, it was a silly thing to fall out over. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Do you know what? That's enough.
0: Compared to some, Stephen actually got off quite lightly. When I arrived at Ford, which is the open prison I went to after Wandsworth, I was padded up with a psychotic born-again Christian. He was doing 11 years for stabbing another inmate in the neck with a plastic knife. He hated me using long words would brew filter coffee through a sock and would wake me up playing Christian rap songs at six in the morning. I didn't
3: expect to go to prison and was somewhat in a
0: daze. This is Christopher again and he really drew the short straw when it came to first cellmates. And
3: then taken, after a tepid meal, into a room that had no windows it was early January. It was freezing cold. And then the door opened and in came a man. And it transpired he'd been in prison 28 times. Everything he did was slightly crazy. Incantations to various gods. He wouldn't sleep on the, on the bunk because he believed I was poisoning him by putting uranium in his pillow and in his mattress. He turned the television on full volume, turned the lights on in the middle of the night, turned them off whenever I wanted to read. He poked me in the, in the glasses and in the chest. I was physically frightened and couldn't sleep because I dreaded what he was going to do. And you were just in your cell all day. You weren't getting out. We had 15 minutes to go and fetch a meal and that was it. Eventually, he uh, spat all over me and, and the guards saw that and moved me. I just wanted something to read. I've been an ardent reader all my life. I just wanted a book. I found a book stuffed behind the back of a cupboard, which was the autobiography-stroke-ghostwritten biography of Kevin Keegan, and I read it five times because there was literally nothing else to do.
0: I know you well enough to know you're not really a football man. I'm not really a football man, Everyone expects prison to be terrible, and it usually is at first. But there are some people who always seem to land on their feet.
5: You know, what? I was so lucky with the wing I went to. It was the best wing in the prison.
0: This is Bernie. He's in his mid-twenties and got five years for credit card fraud.
5: Most of them were lifers. There was no fights at all, really.
0: So that's interesting, so that it, it was best to be on a wing with the people who had done the worst crime.
5: I guess so. Their parole and all that kind of stuff depends on their behaviour throughout their whole sentence. You always find that the, the guys that are lifers, they're a lot more calmer than uh, the guys who are in for a short amount of time. I guess if you're a lifer and you know you're not coming out for a 10, 20 years. 10 20 years, then you're not talking about Bill from the pub. He said this and you owe him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not getting involved in all that kind of stuff. Did you do the newspaper thing? You see what newspapers people are ordering and then you say, oh, he must be alright. He must be alright because <laughs> he reads the same kind of paper I do. I remember there was one guy, he was uh, a couple of doors down, and he was very, very quiet. And uh, I saw a, a copy of the FT going under his door. What,
0: the Financial Times?
5: Yeah, and I and, and immediately I thought, oh, he must be all right. I'll go and introduce myself. And um, yeah, we got talking and yeah, got on, got on really well. Talked about business and share prices and all the rest of it. Share prices? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole wing were friends. There'd be a, a few guys who would do cook-ups and stuff and they'd do a banoffee pie. Really? And they'd do it for literally half the wing. Once you're in, you just chuck in what you can, biscuits and condensed milk. You just do your part and buy a chocolate and add it in. So you made friends quite quickly? Yeah.
0: Bernie's experience is the exception rather than the rule. Most of us spend those first few days in a spiral of anxiety and shock which is made far worse by being completely cut off from the
4: outside world. Back to Farouk. You know, I was down. I was broken. My shoulders, head down, all over the place. No shave. I looked rough. It was horrible not seeing my family, not being able to talk to nobody. They didn't know whether I was dead or alive.
0: It usually takes ages to get a phone account set up and Farouk had to wait two weeks until he was allowed
4: to call home. And I can hear women crying, like my aunties, my mum. Bear in mind, prior to going to court, my mum wasn't talking to me. My mum never spoke to me for about two years prior to me going to prison.
0: So it's important to know that Farouk's parents tried to get him into an arranged marriage. They all flew out to Bangladesh, and his mum presented him with a cousin that he'd never met. Farouk said no and flew back home. That was a couple of years before he was imprisoned and his mum refused to speak to him all that time.
4: Every day I'd sit there before my sentence, try and talk to my mum. She wouldn't have it. She'd say, you mean nothing to me, you're not my son anymore.
0: So things were obviously very tough in Farouk's family when he went away, which made his first call home even more upsetting.
4: I can hear my mum and my aunties and everyone crying. My nieces are like, we want to talk, we want to talk, but it's only like a two minute phone call. I can't cry now because I'm thinking, once I've made this phone call, I've got to go back to the wolves. And the wolves, like, you know, the other prisoners and stuff. So like, I can't get emotional. I remember my dad, the first thing he said to me, prisons were made for men. It was like him saying, man up, you'll be okay. Don't let yourself go.
0: But it's tough not letting yourself go as you lie in your prison cell in those early days, thinking about the life you left behind. I remember turning the same question over and over. Who's going to stand by me and who's going to melt
1: away? The first night in prison, the chaplain came to me and she said, you're going to find out who your friends are.
0: This is Simon. He pled guilty to selling fake shares
1: and got six years. I didn't know what at all she meant because I knew who my friends were. I had about 30 plus friends, mm-hmm. what was she talking about? And it's true, until you test your friends, you don't know who your friends are. And I tested my friends and I found out who they were. I'm really pleased, I found out I have four or five friends, solid friends who came to see me, visited me,
0: The first prison visit is a pivotal moment. It's supposed to be a brief window of happiness as you finally make a physical connection with your friends and family. But the experience is often bittersweet as it's also the moment when everything suddenly gets very real.
1: So I found visits very hard. The reality of what you're uh, going through yourself, I think, is laid bare by meeting somebody who's not going through it. So I would have friends that would come and see me, and uh, the look on their faces when they realise where you are. You, so you become semi-accustomed to your environment, and they come in, from your old world into your yeah. new world, and you can see they're visibly disturbed and shocked at the whole thing, and they're putting on a brave face, and you can see they're putting on a brave face. So therefore I then start to bar on a brave face. It's a two, two-edged sword, it's, it's a, you know, you're obviously pleased to see people, and you're pleased that they care enough to come and make the effort. But at the same time, you are laid bare as to your circumstances. You can see it on their faces that, you know, they're, they're horrified at what you're going through.
4: I didn't get a visit until about four weeks of being in prison.
0: When Farouk finally got his first visit approved, he went into the visit hall to meet his parents. I didn't want
4: my mum to see me caged like that. Why well, not with a sense of shame or... It was a shame, it was my mum, my dad and my brother being searched and it was horrible. They're asking my mum, did she have anything in her headscarf? The officer searched her headscarf and my mum's hugged me and the officer tried to intervene whilst my mum's hugging me. Tried to stop the hug? Yeah, and I was like, is everything okay? They went, you can't get too close. And my mum hugged me, my mum hadn't hugged me in years. She's just in tears and she keeps apologising. And it's the first time I've connected with my mum in years. It took something like this for us to talk again. All I kept thinking is, my mum's forgiven me. And the sentence didn't mean nothing then. The prison sentence meant nothing to me. As soon as my mum started talking to me, my spirit just lifted it. I remember leaving that visit so Like happy and full of energy. And I remember saying, I need to get a haircut and shave. Once my mum was with me, I was invincible. Nothing can beat me. That was probably the biggest step to get me throughout my prison sentence.
0: A lot of prisoners would agree with Farouk that the only thing that keeps you going is the love and support from family on the outside in a later episode I'm going to talk to family members about their experiences dealing with their loved one being inside. When I was in Wandsworth I used to get dozens of letters a week from people showing their love and support. These letters were always peppered with questions. What was the food like? What did we wear? What about the showers? What do you do in the day? Are the officers nice? Well that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode
5: the daily
1: grind. Every cockroach I see, I'm going to put a plastic cup over it.
5: So, three choices. Eat, shower, talk to family. You can't do them all night. As
1: you shower with your boxer shorts on. Everyone showers in
5: their pants. Now, what's that about? I mean, they would pack it but then maybe stand on the biscuits or... So, they'd break the pedo's biscuits. So, I grabbed his leg straight away, went on the ground, I broke his arm on the landing in front of the screws.
0: This has been A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. It was written and produced by me, Chris Atkins. It was also produced by Victoria Hollingsworth. The music is by Vincent Watts. Since this podcast was recorded, some of these contributors have gone back inside, some of them several times, so I've written another book to find out why so many ex-prisoners re-offend again and again. It follows a colorful cast of criminals who just can't go straight, some of whom you'll recognize from this podcast, The book is called Time After Time and it's available now.